0: Thank you for bringing the church uh, into this place, into the sanctuary. For those of you that are gathered for Crosspoint at Home, thanks for bringing the church into your living room or your dining room, wherever you happen to be. And also, it is a fifth Sunday, which means our kindergartners, kind of through fifth grade elementary kids, are here in the service. So let's welcome them this morning. It's good to have you guys. And then a uh, quick, quick survey before we, we get into this. Um, apparently, it's somewhat chilly, right? It's like, oh, I get to wear a jacket or a hat or a sweater. But, uh, so we'll take a quick survey. How many of you are like, this is the worst thing ever? Raise your hand, all right? Um, some of you are in that camp. And how many of you are like, this is amazing. I was made for this. Okay, yes, there you go. You're my friends. Okay, so anyway, um, excited to dive into this series. In fact, to conclude a series that we've been doing through the month of January called On Earth As It Is in heaven. Um, And I'm excited that we get to continue in worship by opening up God's word. And again, thank you so much for being here. Um, And if I've not had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Jamie. And it's my joy. I get to serve as one of the pastors here and I get to open up God's word with you all this morning. And so what we've done over the month of January, not only this year, but in previous years, we keep returning to this series because Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, um, and we read these words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we want to ask, what does it look like to see that prayer, not only to pray that prayer, but to see that prayer answered in and through his people? Because that's the invitation there, really. It's yes, the disciples come to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. But embedded in that prayer is a willingness to submit ourselves to saying, Lord, Use me to help answer this prayer. And not because we have a savior complex. There's one savior, it's Jesus. He's exceedingly good at his job. He doesn't need our help, but he does invite us. Like part of his sovereign design and plan is to use us. And so what we've been looking at each week is these themes of justice or this Hebrew word, it's called mishpat, which means to rightly order, to see things put back in their proper place, to see things flourish. And so we've looked at Jesus's prayer for justice in week one Then we looked at Jesus and the sanctity, or justice and the sanctity of life. We looked at justice and racial reconciliation last week. And this morning, I want to talk about justice and missions, and within missions, like evangelism, church planting, living as a missionary, all right? And kind of a sneak peek here to let you in on this. By missionary, we mean people who are scattered across the globe doing work, but we also mean you and me in your neighborhood, at your school, wherever you happen to be, that there's this call. If you're here this morning as a follower of Jesus, you're a missionary. And so what does it look like to embrace that identity? And so as we get into this this morning, again, I'd invite you to, to go to cplife.church on your phone. You can find the sermon text for this morning, any of the uh, place to take notes. The stuff that will be up on the slides is there. But I want to again come back to this. Jesus teaches us to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I began last week in the same way I'm gonna begin this week with a question like, what does heaven then look like? Because if we're praying and asking and Jesus is teaching us to pray that what is happening in the heavenly realm, that that would break in and begin to characterize what's happening in the here and now. Not just someday off in the future, but like right here, right now, here in the Orlando, Central Florida area in 2022. What does it look like for the Lord's will Not my will, your will, not your kingdom or my kingdom to advance, but his kingdom for Jesus' mission to go forward and to make this world more like the heavenly realm. Well, then, it does beg the question, well, what does heaven look like? And one of the best places to go to help answer that is the book of Revelation, all right? So we'll get into our main text here in just a moment, but I wanna read another text. We looked at one last week. We'll go now to Revelation chapter five. Look at these words. This is what is taking place in the heavenly realm. John writes, he gets this vision, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. And their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. He's struggling with the math there. He's just like, it's countless thousands, whatever that means, all right? And they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. They're just pouring out praise, the countless thousands upon thousands. And then it continues. I heard every creature in heaven on, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power. Be to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, which is this way of saying, let it be so. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So if we ask ourselves, like, what's happening in the heavenly realm? How should that inform here? The picture is worship. And every single person has been designed as a worshiper. The question then becomes, are you worshiping Jesus? Are you falling down around his throne? Are you in glad submission to him or... As we're prone to do, do we begin worshiping good gifts that the Lord gives us, created things, but elevating them to the place that only the creator God deserves to be? And so that's what's happening in the heavenly realm, like right now. And so if we ask then, okay, is this what earth looks like? Does your neighborhood look like just this glad worship of Jesus? Does your family, does your friendships, does your school? Well, I think the answers are resounding no. And so that means, friends, that there is good work still to be done. Not because we have to earn anything from God. That's not how this story goes. He has given us everything. We just get to live now in response to him. Because the end game is worship. And I love these words by pastor and author and theologian named John Piper. He says this in regard to this idea of living on mission and doing missions work. Whether that be locally or around the globe, he said this. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, now hear this, and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. So as we talk about justice and missions, i got some exciting things to share even in regards to things that we're about as a church, know this, it is subordinate, subservient to the ultimate goal of worship. Like that's the big E on the I chart and everything else falls under that. And so mission and evangelism and church planting and things we're passionate about all matter to the heart of God and they should matter to God's people, but only in as much as they lead ultimately to worship. Because at the end of the day, we live on mission, we plant churches, we send people and resources to other parts of the world to help plant churches and to live as missionaries. We do that in our neighborhoods and in our schools, in our workplace because a right worship of King Jesus does not fully exist. And God has put you and me in our particular spheres that he has placed this, network of relationships, friendships, schools, workplaces, all of it, so that, One day, more people might worship Jesus. And that's that idea of mishpat. That's how this pertains to an issue of justice. We want to see this restoration and this right ordering. And so to help us with this idea, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 10. There are Bibles in the back of the pews this morning. You can also, again, go to cplife.church. You'll see the text listed there. This is a wonderful text that the Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest outside of Jesus, the greatest missionary the world has ever known. And he's writing these words about mission. All right. And so I want to read this and just ask, what does it teach us in regards to the promises of God? And then this invitation to participate in this mission. So we'll get promises and participation uh, this morning. But Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse nine, it says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is God's word for us this morning. So I want to look at this. I want to start by looking at the promises. And there are promises that are here to encourage us, to lift our spirits, to remind us of the beauty and the wonder of how God is at work, the truth of this good news that we call the gospel. But it's also promises about anyone who would embrace, who would cry out to God, who would believe like what it will actually result in. And then toward the end, we'll look at our participation and what this talk about beautiful feet is all about. A uh, little clue, it, it's not my feet, they're not beautiful, right? But what does it actually, what does it mean? Like, what's it getting at? And so what we see right out of the bat, verses nine and 10 are these parallel statements. It's not like Paul is writing two different things. He's just trying to double down and say, listen, at the end of the day, there's this call to confess and to believe. It's a picture of active trust that is taking place. And so Paul writes these words, again, like in verse 9. And he says, if you confess, it's as simple as this, friends. He's like, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he kind of flips the order. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. Meaning like you get the righteousness of Christ. And one confesses with the, with the mouth resulting in salvation. Now, What is really fascinating about this, Paul is trying to really double down on the fact that it's not a call to lip service. When he says confess, it's not simply just a mantra to speak. When he says if you confess that Jesus is Lord, this could not be a more loaded statement Because in the time and place that the Apostle Paul is writing this, he is under threat. He ultimately will lose his life because there is one in the known world at that time who went by the ascription of Lord, and it was the Caesar. And so the title, the phrase, what was said, and what you had to bow to all over the known world at the time because Rome ruled and reigned, and the Caesar was at the top, and the Caesar possessed the title Caesar is Lord. And the Romans had an approach to the world that they called the Pax Romana, this idea of bringing Roman peace, but it didn't look like peace unless you happened to be on their side because it would bring devastation. They would come into your town. They would kill your family, or if your lives were spared, they would haul you off. They would burn your villages to the ground. They would burn your synagogue to the ground. They would do these things. If you would not submit and declare the word, Caesar is Lord. Like that's what was happening historically at that time and that place. And then there's this movement. There's this misfit ragtag group of people that have been following this peasant named Jesus, this Galilean peasant who had died and apparently rose Again, and they began declaring to anyone who would listen, It's not Caesar that is Lord, but it is Jesus that is Lord. And it's because of this declaration when Paul writes, You will be saved. He's not saying you will be protected in this world from any sort of evil, because every single one of the disciples, including the Apostle Paul himself, would give their lives for this declaration. So do you see when he says, confess Jesus as Lord, it's not simply intellectual information about Jesus, because that is not enough. It is a, I'm all in with Jesus. He is my Lord. I'm submitted to him, come what may. That's that active trust. And so do you believe that? But I think sometimes we like to think like, oh, I just... Yeah, I know a little bit about Jesus. We live in a time and a place still that culturally people might know a little bit about Jesus. The danger is that in the church we can know a little bit about Jesus and we can say certain things, but does that mean that you actively trust him? Jesus' own brother, James, all right, would write this, which is a whole fascinating thing that even a brother would call his older brother Lord, right? Like this has to be the God of the universe, right? Because that doesn't happen between brothers. No one's like, oh, you're Lord, and I submit to you. Like that doesn't happen, unless this is actually true. And James would write this. He's talking about people giving lip service to this. He's like, friends, like he's, I can, I like to read this as if he's being pretty sarcastic here. He's like, ooh, you believe that God is one? I added the ooh part, that's not in the original Greek, all right, Um, good, even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you see what he's getting at? He's like, oh great, you know a little bit of theology. Ooh, God is one, yes, that's true. But I'm here to tell you, even the demons believe that. And that doesn't mean that they're saved. The demons know a lot about Jesus. In fact, the demons, many of them probably know more than you and I do about Jesus. But that doesn't mean that there's this active trust and dependence. It doesn't mean that they've confessed their sins and have trusted in the finished work of Jesus. There's this call to active trust. It's possible to know a lot of things even about Jesus and good Christian religious things without actually trusting him. The best illustration for me in this, and I've shared this before, but it's just that maybe you've experienced this, this before of being out, you're doing like rock climbing um, and like literally out in the mountains and then having an opportunity to repel where you literally walk to the edge of a cliff that's a couple hundred feet down. And you've watched, I've been in that spot where I've, I've watched the, the people with the harnesses and the gear and the clips and all the, you know, like all the carabiners, like they got all the things, right? And intellectually knowing that rope is held, all right? And that middle schooler that I took to camp, they made it way to the bottom. And I, I can tell their mom and dad that, hey, they're safe, right? Like, I watched that as a youth leader, all right? And then they're like, hey, you go, Jamie. And I'm like, yeah, what are you, nuts, right? Um, but having that moment of walking to the edge and knowing again, yep, the rope holds. Yep, this guy knows what he's doing. Yep, yes, this, this equipment is going to hold me. But it's an entirely different thing to step off the edge. And Jesus is inviting us to step off into sort of this free fall into his grace where he has us. Like that's what Paul is saying here. Confess and believe. I love the way John Stott speaks of this. He says, this is not salvation by slogan, but by faith. That is, by an intelligent faith which lays hold of Christ as the crucified and resurrected Lord and Savior. It's not salvation by slogan, it's by faith. There's this act of trust. And so, In these promises, in this section, Paul is like, friends, what an invitation. Like to confess, to be all in with Jesus, that he loves you, that he died for you, that he's extending his grace. And then he says this, it's available for anyone. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. It's the same Lord of all, richly blesses all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul is writing, listen, this invitation here, like it's for everyone. It doesn't matter your past. If you are here this morning in Christ, Jesus cannot possibly love you any more than he does right now. Regardless of what you did yesterday, regardless of what your drive was like on the way to church, regardless of what will happen tomorrow, like these words are true. He says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Ever since Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, our original parents, who were created to worship, created to be in the presence of God, decided, no, I'm going to worship self over the maker, the creator of everything. As so they reach for the fruit, and they partook of that, and immediately it tells us, they knew that they were naked, they were filled with shame, and they tried to hide. And the story that's been playing out ever since, like Adam and Eve sowing fig leaves, we do the same thing, but we think it's far more sophisticated, or maybe it's better, but it's the same practice. I feel shame, I don't feel like I'm worthy of love, I don't measure up, and so I've gotta get these grades, right. I've gotta get this job, I gotta get into this school, I gotta have these people like me, I've gotta have this certain level of beauty, I gotta have people think I'm funny, I gotta be able to have this amount of money in the the bank, I gotta be able to go on this trip, I gotta have this for retirement, and on and on it goes. And they're not bad things, but let's call them what they are. If they're the thing that we're using to cover up our shame, They're just fig leaves, and the Lord is inviting us. Will you trust me? Allow me to give you my righteousness, to clothe your nakedness and shame with the righteousness of Christ. Like, that's the invitation. Kurt Thompson, in his book, Soul of Shame, says it this way. He says, the reality is like, there's guilt and then there's shame. Guilt, we feel, it's like, oh, I did a bad thing, right? It's okay to feel guilt, Like, that's not a bad thing. Like, I feel no guilt about anything. It's like, hello, psychopath, right? Like, that's not what we're after. So to feel guilt, it's because I did something bad. But shame speaks a lie. It's not that you did something bad. Shame speaks, though, you are bad. And Jesus has taken away our shame. When we trust him, like, there's a whole new story that's been written. Because, yeah, on my own, left to myself, Shame. I actually am bad, and that has resulted in death, but Jesus has given me a new heart. Jesus has resurrected me. That's the story for Christians, and I love that he says it's available to anyone. Literally anybody can get in on this, so all of this then leads to verses 14 to 15, because Paul's been saying these are the promises, friends, so he's trying to encourage and exhort a group of people. Remember your identity, but also If the ultimate aim of everything is worship of God and not everybody's worshiping, how do we get people to actually confess that Jesus is Lord, to begin to worship him? So look with me again back at verses 14 to 15. Paul says this, and Paul's a very logical guy, all right? So just follow kinda the way this argument flows. He's like, okay, if we want people to call on the name of the Lord, then he begins to ask some questions. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So what's helpful for just a moment is just to look at this. And like take this list of questions that Paul asked and just look at it in reverse order for a moment. Because Paul is like, literally, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's amazing. What What an amazing promise. Literally, anybody can get in on that. But then there's this invitation. He's like, okay. But we don't just sit back and say, all right, cool. I hope that happens for some people. God has sovereignly chosen to work through us. If you're here this morning as a follower of Christ, somebody, and oftentimes multiple people throughout your life, have done this. It might have been a parent, could have been a teacher, might have been a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a neighbor, a VBS teacher, I, whatever it was, somebody told you. Like, you didn't figure this out on your own. Somebody told you. Like, there's this progression that has taken place. And so Paul literally is kind of laying it out as we look backwards. He's like, hey, Jesus sends heralds. And these heralds go out and they proclaim. And we'll talk about what they proclaim here in a moment. And people actually hear. And when people hear, these hearers actually believe. And then these people who believe, they call out. And those who call are saved. And so Paul is helping us to think about this, to say, listen, like, if at the end of the day, all right, like... If nobody calls on the name of the Lord, nobody believes, all right? Nobody hears, if there's nobody that's proclaiming this, like then no one is actually going to be saved. But God has chosen to work in and through us. And that's why it leads to verse 15 where he says this, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So let's talk about feet for a moment, okay? Those are not my feet in case you were wondering. Mine are not nearly that nice, okay. how beautiful. Why would Paul use this language? Why would he use this phrase? Is he just sitting around trying to think, like, oh, how do I communicate this to people, right? Oh, I don't know. I'm looking down at my dusty feet. Maybe I'll talk about that. Like, this idea, he is lifting this. He is borrowing this from a well-known story for the Jewish people. Paul is looking back to the Holy Scriptures, particularly the book of Isaiah, specifically what we would have now as is Isaiah chapter 52. It's in Isaiah 52 that this idea of beautiful feet, of somebody proclaiming and heralding begins to take place. So let me read a portion of that. Isaiah 52, 7 to 8 says this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And the voices of your watchmen, they lift up their voices, shouting for joy together, for every eye will see when the Lord returns to Zion. So Paul, very intentionally, is using this line that he gets from Isaiah 52 to communicate what Jesus has done and what he's inviting us into. The context of Isaiah 52 is this. That God's people, particularly those in the city, the holy city of Jerusalem, have been attacked and decimated by the empire that is the Babylonians. Things have been destroyed. Most of the people there, any that were left alive, the ones that were, were hauled off to live in other places. They were, they were like literally their families, if they weren't destroyed, they were, they were exited out as exiles and there were a few that remained back in Jerusalem. Now imagine for a moment, you've just had your job, your livelihood destroyed, you've lost friends and family members, you perhaps you know, lost your own home, and amidst the devastation and the rubble and just the pain and the heartache and the confusion, you have to imagine for one, they're asking, wait, Like, where is God? Has God abandoned us? Like, what in the world is happening? Even if they knew at some level that they deserved it, they still had to be like, what? Like, how are we going to get out of this? And it's in this context that these words are given to Isaiah, who speaks of these watchmen, a few that are left in the city. And they look out. And they're coming down the mountain. They see this one who is running at full speed. And often they can tell he's shouting something and they can't quite make it out yet, but they're hearing these words. And this man is just on this like mission and he's running and he's running and he's running and he's approaching the city. And the watchmen look out and they're like, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet. There's this herald coming. And as he gets closer, what are they hearing? He's proclaiming peace. He brings good news who proclaims salvation. The messenger has been sent to proclaim, your God reigns. So in the midst of the rubble, the devastation, the absolute chaos, there's a messenger that's been sent. These beautiful feet carrying a word that says, friends, don't forget, in the midst of all of this heartache and pain, your God reigns. And not only that, one day he's coming back to bring peace, to bring shalom, to bring restoration, to bring renewal. This is the story that you're part of. And now if we fast forward hundreds of years later, a poor Galilean peasant named Jesus shows up and he starts his ministry out in this way, Matthew four twenty three. And now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And so hundreds of years before, you have a herald in Isaiah 52 coming saying, there's good news in the midst of all the devastation and heartache and pain. And now you have another messenger that shows up. And Jesus starts his ministry out this way. He's preaching the good news The Greek word is euangelion. It's what we also translate as gospel. And so when people ask, like, do you believe the gospel? Or are you sharing the gospel? What it's speaking of here is this good news. It means, are you and I, like Jesus, being a herald of the good news? Like, Jesus is the embodiment of the herald in Isaiah 52. He's the fulfillment of it. He shows up and he begins declaring the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he calls people to repent and to believe, to confess that he actually is Lord. And this proclamation of good news, like we we gotta keep coming back to this. I've said this before, and as long as I get the opportunity to do this, like we'll keep saying it. We're not talking about good advice. Jesus didn't show up a couple thousand years ago and say, hey friends, if you want peace, I got seven steps. If you follow this, things might work out okay. Okay. Jesus came declaring good news. Something historically was happening. Good advice is fine, right? But as I've talked about before, the friend that gives you good advice to get out of debt, that's really helpful, that's a good friend. But the friend that shows up and says, I'll stroke the check and get you out of debt myself, that's at a whole other level. One is good advice, the other is good news. One you might give a fist bump to, the other you're like embracing with a hug and a kiss, right? You're like, oh my goodness, thank you. And Jesus comes on the scene as this herald of the euangelion, the gospel, the good news, that the kingdom of God is advancing, that justice and righteousness are here because he's here. And now with this, what is so fascinating is it's not just that he's the messenger. He's not just showing up saying there's a king that's going to come one day. He's both the messenger and the king. But this king is unlike the Caesar where everyone had to declare Caesar as lord because we know, right? The Caesars brought death and devastation. They destroyed anyone that would stand up to them. But now this Jesus, who's both the messenger and the one who says he's the king, he loves his enemies. He washes the feet of those who would betray him, who would desert him, deny him, abandon him. He welcomes in the outcast, the prostitute, the adulterer, the leper. These are the people he's having meals with. He loves the irreligiously lost and the religiously lost. And he gives up himself for them. This king is so different. His kingdom is upside down. His kingdom looks nothing like the Caesar is Lord declaration because when Jesus comes on the scene and says, Jesus is Lord, you have the Lord himself emptying himself, becoming completely vulnerable so that we could be welcomed in. And it's why each of the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of Jesus' kingship and his coronation event His being ushered in as the king, this moment of recognition, it's depicted here in in Rembrandt's, the raising of the cross. Jesus has a crown placed upon his head. He's given a robe. He has a sign above his head that says the king of the Jews. And then he is lifted up, not to a throne, but on a Roman cross. This king is unlike any other. And this one who came proclaiming good news is showing us what it's going to take for the God of the universe to get us back so that we too could now invite other people in. And what we have being depicted here in this crucifixion is his coronation and the beautiful feet of Jesus that walked those dusty roads and went from town to town as the crowds followed him and he proclaimed peace and he loved people to the end, those feet are now being pierced. And his feet are being pierced so that you and I could now be the beautiful feet of Jesus. That you and I could now live on mission. That you and I could live in light of the grace that we've received. You and I who have been made worshipers of God, if that's your story, are now given the great privilege and opportunity, both here locally and around the world, to be people that would help bring Mishpat, to help bring Sadekot, to bring justice and righteousness. That's what we're invited into. And it's because of our Savior. And in that particular painting, if you know it well enough, you would know that there at the foot of the cross again is Rembrandt who's painting himself into it it's a way of saying, like, is this story personal for you? Have you trusted in the promises of God? Do you realize that Jesus was raised up on a cross for you, for your sin, Has he di- that he died in your place? And then have you embraced his commission? You remember what he said in Matthew 28 before he ascended? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. And so we don't do this in our own strength. We don't do it to earn the affection of God. We already have it. We get to engage joyfully in mission so that more people might be gathered around the throne, bowing down in worship, because that's where life is found. And so I want to close by giving you a bit of an update. Do um, you remember January 2020? <laughs> Anyone remember way back then? Feels like two decades ago, maybe. Um, but in light of this, one of the things, January 2020, uh, we introduced um, what we were calling the Mishpat Project, the site that's invitation. And specifically for that, that year, 2020, was a goal to be able to raise $75,000 to partner with Compassion International. If you're familiar with Compassion, great child sponsor. They literally go to places where children are the most impoverished. They're li- like, like they will not survive unless somebody steps in. And they, being the beautiful feet of Jesus, they go in. And they begin to work with these kids and in these communities. Well, one of the things that they notice as though they would have people to sponsor these children is oftentimes there was lacking a church presence, though. A local church. They really believe in the local church. And so they struck up a partnership with Acts 29, which is the church planning network that we're privileged to be part of. And in this partnership, what was formed was this opportunity that for $75,000 being raised, a building could be constructed that could house up to some 200 kids throughout the week to be a school. It's where they could be fed, they could be nurtured, they could be loved, they could be cared for, they could be taught, and they would also function as the home for a church that would be planted in that community, with a local indigenous church planter being raised up, that building being used for Sundays for church, and discipleship throughout the week. And 75,000 is a lot of money, and yet to do all of that, and so we're like, we're, we're all in. And so by God's grace, you guys were part of seeing that, like that first phase is done, like you raised that, the money, it's, in, it's incredible. now. A pandemic happened like six weeks later, right, after introducing this, Um, and so things came to a screeching halt. But this stuff is now resuming. Um, Update to share, and one of the things, our Compassion representative, I want you to hear from him. Uh, He had plans to, such a humble man, he had plans to be here today. He's an elder at an X-29 church in Lakeland, Um, and then I saw something posted online like two days ago. Their church plant, they've been doing the thing like we did for years, set up and tear down, and they they found this beautiful old building in Lakeland, and they were able to purchase it. And today's their grand opening. And he was going to come here. And I was like, dude, you're coming here? Like, come on. Like, we'd love to see you, but like, go be part of your church and your celebration. Like, so he recorded a short video to give you an update. So I want to show you this, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time here at the end just, just praying for this. But church, this, like, we're on the cusp of this, um, kind of moving into the next phase. And I have a couple other details that he doesn't share in the video that we'll talk through, and then we'll we'll pray. But by God's grace, we get to be missionaries locally here, but we also get the opportunity
1: to help be the beautiful feet of Jesus around the world. So let's watch this. Good morning, Crosspoint. My name is David Trevet and I serve the churches here in Florida with Compassion International. And I'm completely bummed that I'm not with you this morning. That was the original plan. Pastor Jamie invited me to be there this morning to share a little bit about uh, compassion and our partnership with Acts 29, and then of course our partnership with Crosspoint. And unfortunately, um, I am not able to be there this morning in person. I actually serve as a lay elder at a church plant here in Lakeland, Florida. We're also part of the Acts 29 network. And over the past three years, we have been moving from one location to the next and uh, doing the whole setup, up, tear down thing, which we can all be excited about, right? Uh, But we are are celebrating this Sunday moving into a more permanent location and so we're expecting a lot of visitors and felt like it would be uh, wise to have as many uh, staff, elders, uh, uh, deacons serving and, and, uh, welcoming people as they visit for the first time. So thank you so much for your grace, for allowing me to record a very quick video. Uh, but, um, but hopefully this will, will help at least give you an, an idea of, of, what is happening in our partnership with you guys. Uh, first and foremost, I wanted to share about compassion and I'm, I'm assuming most of you know about the ministry or the organization of Compassion, but if not really quick, we focus on the three C's here at Compassion, and that is Christ, keeping Christ centered in all that we do. We are church-based, so everything that we do—the long-term discipleship of children, uh, from age zero to, to eighteen or twenty-two, depending on the country—all of that takes place within the local church. We don't have community centers. We don't. Uh, we don't. Ex- we don't go beyond the the local church. And we are an organization that does our best not to overshadow the local church, but that our job is to pair up with the church resource the church and let the church be the bright uh, light in the community that it's uh, that it's serving and then the third c is that we are uh, children focused that um, all our programs are around children the discipleship of of children because we believe that as children are transformed by the gospel as as they that develop in in christ uh, that that pours over into their families that can pour over into their communities And communities and cities and then nations can be transformed as a result of what takes place with that child in that local church. So that gives you a big, big picture of of compassion. So compassion serves in 25 different countries, uh, is working in 25 different countries with over 8,000 church partners. Because we have such a large. Uh, extensive partnership with uh, with churches, um, we noticed and was identifying um, the need for church planning because we would have churches that would come to us and say, hey, listen, we have uh, leadership at our church that we would like to send out. They have identified a community that is in need of a Gospel centered church, or they are in the need, or a community is in need of a compassion center, a discipleship center. Um, we have identified and located land that we can purchase that would be under the church's name, the sending church's name. We just need resources. We need to be able to resource this. We need to be able to resource the construction of it, of, of paying um, some of the salaries for the first year. Uh, and so, with that. Um, with that need, with that request, however many years back, we began to broker church plants. So I think it was back in 2016, maybe it was 2017, uh, we uh, partnered, officially partnered with Acts 29 Church Planning Network. And so what that looks like, churches will come to us, they will tell us the need, uh, they have to meet Uh, Certain requirements, uh, 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 an extensive kind of vetting process happens. And then we recommend these churches to Acts 29. Acts 29 will then go through their assessment with these potential pastors. So that's what's been happening over the past two years. um, And uh, and with the hope of... Uh, eventually getting to the point where we can say, okay, all lights are green and uh, we're ready to move forward. And Crosspoint, you all have been extremely generous to step up and to raise funds for one of these church plants. And I am want to, I'm here this morning to say thank you so much for that. What that would look like um, is once we get the green light for the church plant, um, I will be updating you as I receive updates from the field uh, letting you know what the construction phase is. So we have four or five different construction phases. We pass that on to you all. You guys get to celebrate as you see the progression that is happening uh, from the actual construction. But then you also get to celebrate as the grand opening takes place, children can be 100, 150 to 200 children are enrolled in the long-term discipleship, you all eventually would have that opportunity to sponsor those children. As that happens, you begin to get into, um, hopefully, a deeper relationship with uh, with that child and with that family, sharing the gospel with them, sharing the testimonies back and forth, and then uh, be able to, um, Lord willing, set up a short-term mission trip to actually go visit. You'll meet your, your sponsor child, the families, you'll also be able to serve alongside of the pastor, the program director in that church um, as you go out to the community to serve uh, that location. So that is the vision. That is what we are praying for and, uh, and about. And uh, that is what that partnership looks like. And again, I want to say thank you so much, uh, Crosspoint, for stepping up and being generous, stepping out in faith, and trusting us to link arms with you guys in ministry. Um, Again, I so wish I was talking to actual faces where I could see you all rather than a camera, but Lord willing, that will happen soon. Thank you again uh, for your time this morning. Um, Love you, brothers and sisters, and can't wait to celebrate with you as we move forward with this church plant. God bless you. Bye.
0: So I want to pray, um, uh, particularly, too. Um, there have been assessments that literally happened in the last couple of weeks. And so um, one of the things that even after I got this video and then was texting back and forth with, with David, um, it is looking like, and so hold all of this loosely. If you've, you know, we've probably learned that in the last couple of years. Hey, there's plans and then there's COVID plans, right? Um, and so, uh, but... Uh, it's looking like, and there's a group of pastors that were assessed in Bolivia, so it's looking like that that would be a location for us, and we are super excited uh, about that. Um, all this information, too, if you go to the sermon notes at cplife.church, the last section you'll see is a lot of the information that he detailed there, so you can kind of recap that. Um, but we actually had a planter that went through, uh, apparently it was was approved, things are moving along, um, and the only thing, and this is what we're gonna, gonna pray about, um, is that uh, he, actually him and his family, got COVID on a more severe level, and is having some lingering health effects from that, and so our plan had been to be able to share, like, hey, here's this person, he got approved, and we're, we're moving on to the next step, and that, again, just the realities of the world right now, it's like, we think, um, but also they, they want to they want to care well for him and his family and just make sure that he's good to go. And because it's a, you know, it's a thing to go and plan a church and to, to shoulder that and then to be doing that with some lingering health concerns. Obviously that is a concern. And so uh, we want to pray for him. All right. And so I want to pray for this. I want to thank you for being part of this. We'll have opportunities in the future. Hopefully you heard that, like opportunities to sponsor kids, opportunities for mission trips. How cool, like to go and actually see the kids that we get to help sponsor. So super excited about this, the beautiful feet. We get to be the beautiful feet. That is an amazing gift that the Lord gives to us. Let me, let me pray. I'll pray for this uh, planter or whoever the Lord has for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue in worship. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness, your grace, allowing us to participate in your mission. You do not need us, but you've given us the, the joy of getting to be beautiful feet, to herald the good news of the gospel. And God, we thank you for the work that you're doing with Compassion, the work that you're doing with Compassion in Acts 29 together, and specifically even, God, the works that you're raising up in Bolivia. If that is what you have for us, Lord, we would be thrilled about that, and we pray that that would come to fruition. God, we pray for this church planner and his family that have gone through this grueling process of being assessed, and then only to to find out that there's um, some health concerns that that they have. And so, God, we pray that you would heal him. Uh, God, we pray that there wouldn't be uh, any more lingering effects? We pray that uh, he would be able to get the, the care that he needs. And God, just give wisdom. If if he is the one you are raising up to plant the, this church, and we can partner, God, then we want your your will to be done in that. Um, but if it is somebody else in a different location, um, God, I pray that uh, you would make that clear um, and help that planter. Then even God, in just dealing with, the, I'm sure it's just been an emotional roller coaster for him and his family. But God, we trust that you're gonna bring about just the right situation and just the right church and church plant and community um, for us. So we trust you in that. We thank you for this opportunity. And we pray now, God, that more people might be worshipers of you for your glory and for our joy. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.